a Bible Bible with you. I'm going to ask you to go with me and jump into uh, Matthew 9. And I don't, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time because I actually really want to get to some time of prayer because I just, I felt this morning that I just want us to, to have some time in prayer. But um, as I was praying yesterday and um, was thinking about some of the stuff I shared before, uh, a little bit of not with might, but with power. Let me see. I wrote it down here. So not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, right? And where um, it's the whole beginning to go into Zerubbabel. I love his name, Zerubbabel. Um, and I knew that I knew that I knew. I've taught on this before. And I went back and, of course, you know, I don't know what I did with notes. Lost them somewhere. But the Lord was reminding me of some of it this last week of, like, what Zerubbabel, which means, like, um, born at Baal or born in Babylon, right? Like, he was from there. And I just kept thinking all week about how, how we can be from a place and it drastically affects how we respond to something, whether it's in um, kind of the place that we are or maybe the people group that we grew up in. So I grew up in a little tiny, and I know most of y'all know this, but you're going to hear me share it for the rest of my life. So we might as well, you know, move on. So I'm from a little mountain town in northern New Mexico. It is primarily um, Hispanic in origin, but not all. Um, and, and so there's a, a very Hispanic cultural identity to this place. And there is a, a food and a, um, a dialect and a culture. And there's a lot of, it's very heavy in Catholicism. That's kind of what came through first there. And so um, I am called a Tausenia, where I'm from. And you probably won't make something too hot for me to love. I don't take that as a challenge. I'm just saying I love chili from northern New Mexico. It is one of my favorites. Like I've yet to find chili other places that really quite compare. It is not Texas chili. It is very different. And, uh, and what I would call pure. <laughs> and so a couple times a year, I actually have to do orders to order in chili from New Mexico because we make chili regularly at my home, at my house. It's a lot like a red sauce. It's not enchilada sauce, by the way, but it is a red sauce and you can put it on anything. Like you can, you can put literally put it on anything. It's best on eggs, like in a breakfast burrito. I mean, you name it, it's good. Dipping sauce, it can go on anything. The other side of it is green chili. If you don't like your red, you get your green chili. At home, we call that Christmas because it's both. So Christmas, so green chili is amazing. At McDonald's, if you go, you can get a green chili cheeseburger at McDonald's in my hometown. Let me tell you, it makes McDonald's a whole different ballgame. Right, and so just the flavor, and and in the early um, spring they they pull out. Is it spring? Late summer. It's actually in late summer. They will start to pull in the the chili harvest from that area, and then they start to roast them. And when you drive through the uh, the area where the plaza is, they will have people standing outside with a big roasters, and they're standing out there roasting. And you can go and get fresh roasted chili to make like chili rellenos or other types of things. All right, can I just tell you that? So. So I know I stand here and I'm very blonde, very Anglo-Saxon, Irish. Megan spelled the way it's spelled. Nobody ever gets it right the first time. Irish. Middle name, Nolan, Irish. Or maiden last name, Boyer. Lots of like mixed Scottish, Irish, English, who knows what there. That's a good mix. But my family moved to northern New Mexico when I, well, before I was born. I was the fifth generation to grow up in the home that I grew up in. It looks like a little adobe, adobe casa, 
It was this little adobe house. Not that little, because I think each generation took it as a little bit of a, um, a bet that they should make it a little bigger. So <laughs> by the end, it was a little bit of a winding, tall, looked like a little Pueblo. And that's where I'm from, but you don't know that looking at me. You know, you don't get this when you just look at somebody and you think, huh, yeah, she's blonde. That's pretty just middle America. And then you guys say or do something. And sometimes I'm a little like, I don't get it. And I'll have to go back to Brad when we first got married. And I, I came out of that culture and I had come to college in Kentucky, but I, you know, when you're in college, you're sort of surrounded there. And I married him and I learned that I was like, oh, I'm from a whole different planet whole different planet. And I love that like Zerubbabel, like he came out of that area. Like he was a product of that area. And yet the Lord said, I see more to in you and there's going to be something different. And we're going to work with this. And he looks at each of us and says that to us, you may look like this, but there's more to you. All right. So that's the mini sermon before the sermon. I've got to get going. So here we are. We are jumping into Matthew nine. Did you guys get there? I gave you plenty of time. Okay, so I want to actually do this. I've, I've gone back and forth, back and forth. If you could see my Bible this morning, it's just like marked up um, because I love this chapter. And there are a couple of things that jumped out at me at the chapter, but I was like, I think unless you get the full picture, it doesn't really, you don't understand why those things really matter in the chapter. Does that make sense? Like with me, if you don't get the full picture, then when I'm like, you know, crying over wishing I could go home, you don't understand why. Because I need some chili. That's really, on to ski. Chili and to ski. Otherwise, I'm good. So we're going to just jump in. I'm going to read this out loud. Hopefully, it shouldn't take that long. It's not that long of a chapter, but I actually want to do most of the chapter out loud. You guys ready? It's the second section of four sections in the book of Matthew, if you've jumped in there before. And this isn't a teaching closer to Galilee. We'll talk about that in a minute. So let's read it. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city, right? And behold, we'll go back and look at that minute. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying in a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, came not to call the righteous, but the sinners." 
Then the disciples of John came to him and said, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. No one who puts on a piece, no one puts on a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch tears away from the garment and is worse wear when it is made. Then when it was made, neither is a new wine put into an old wine skin. For if it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but a new wine is put into fresh wine skins and so both are preserved. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from discharge of blood for 12 years came up from behind him and touched the fringe of the garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away. For the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl rose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. We're going to just read to there for now. Can you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that even in just one chapter, you, you just cram so much meat into that chapter. It's like this amazing steak. And we could only digest so much steak at one time, and then it just becomes more. So Lord, I pray that you would just help us focus on the parts of your word that you're asking us to digest and to, to bring into our heart and our mind this morning. I pray for focus for each of us, that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to know who you are and who we are in you. We love you. Amen. After this, I think it's actually pretty important because he heals a blind man there, and then he heals a man unable to speak. So he like opens the eyes, then he opens the mouth, and then he goes on to say, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few, which I think is a fascinating ending to this entire chapter, and I'll come back to that later. But let's just jump back to verse one really fast. When it says, getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. If you'll jump backwards to with me really fast to Matthew 4. 13, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this is one of those areas where it starts to talk about the, the um, fulfilling of prophecy in the Old Testament and how he's doing specific things for that, and I love it. And it says, um, he came into his own city, and if you're like me, it has a little note up there, and this is one of the places it throws you back to. And um, it says this, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Well, why does that matter? Why is he telling us that? Well, down below, it says what prophet Isaiah had written and was fulfilled. In this area, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. I love that because what does he do towards the end of this chapter? He actually takes blind eyes and lets them see. And in Isaiah, it had said, the people dwelling in darkness had seen a great light. There's so many little places that I love. They're like little gyms. Like, that's just a fun little thing to me. It was like, in this area, people were dwelling in darkness in their hearts, but there were people who were dwelling in darkness 
in their bodies. And he was like, I'm going to come and I'm going to break open light into all of these areas. I want us to focus in on a couple bookends though. The bookends starting with um, 9-2 where it says, take heart my son, your sins are forgiven. And then the other bookend at 9.22. So you get that? It's 9.2 and 9.22. And there he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And I was like, in between that, it's just like rich. It's just so rich. But both of these say it. And, and Brad, you know, he shared when he was talking about sonship, and I think I kind of tried to make that, that, that point again last week just so that you guys are hearing it as much as Brad and I feel like we're hearing it a little bit, that we want sonship being that it's not that we're leaving the girls out. We're not doing that. It's because Sonship equals in that, in that culture that that person received everything, the entire inheritance, all that they were given. And so most of the time, often you will just see that sonship, that sonship. But right here in these two places, he makes it very clear, take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart, my daughter. Like he calls them out before he heals their bodies. And I, I was laughing with, I was texting a little bit with Brad and I was show, sharing some of this and he called it the hidden power of healing. So he wrote back at me and I was like, yeah, this is the hidden power of healing. But this is also why we don't want to just seek after the physical healing. We need the entire thing and it comes back to the restoration as sons and daughters. Take heart, my son, take heart, my daughter. It's restoring the identity and the value as sons, not simply showing God's love, but restoration in the identity. And between all of these, I went through with a pen yesterday. I was just kind of looking back and forth. It goes back and forth between physical ailment and emotional damage that was there. And you just see this back and forth because here he is, he's gonna physically heal the young man. You realize this same little story here is actually the one where like they cut through the roof and drop him down, right? That's the same story that were in, in the, other, um, the other books. And so they, it's actually kind of a big deal. But here he just mentions it. And he says what Jesus told him. He doesn't, I think he's emphasizing something different here for us the sonship. And so, but you go between take heart, my son, to the thoughts of the scribes. And then he goes back and he heals them. And you kind of have this back and forth throughout the entire telling of like emotional challenge and the Pharisees and even in some of the people to the physical healing that was going back and forth to then why is there fasting in the middle of it? Like that kind of seems a little weird to me. And I was looking at it and this was what he had said right before the fasting. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What is fasting? It's a sacrifice, right? I desire, he just said it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice because I came to call the righteous, not to call the righteous, but the sinners, excuse me. And it's like, Right after that, they come and say, well, what about fasting? I don't think I'd ever seen that connection necessarily before, but it's really pointless to spend our time fasting if we're not allowing him to heal the heart issues, right? Then it's just purely something that we're doing for some other motive. It's, it becomes like a control tactic. And if you ever live with or deal with people regularly that have control in their lives as an issue, that just destroys relationship around you because the lack of trust is usually what really undermines control. Like people can feel like I've just got to have all this like this. But what's happening is they're believing a lie in their heart that if they don't control all these things, they aren't safe. Does that make sense? 
And so he's saying, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want your trust. I want all of you. And I want you to want all of the best for you. And I want you to want all the best for you and to stop controlling things and let me lead. So then he gets back into the thing right then about the wineskin. And he's giving this example, I think it's, it's symbolic of multiple things. There's so many things we can pull out of here, but what stood out to me was that it was the physical body and then the spirit, the soul, what else light resides within. And that it, without, if he just heals one without dealing with the other, we become this like push me, pull you and the old Dr. Doolittle. Does anybody actually remember that? It's like the old movie. There was like, it looked like a llama with a head on each end and it was called a push me, pull you and they couldn't really get it to move very well. Like it, both sides wanted to lead. And that's what happens when we're, we're unhealthy and the Lord's not been allowed to deal with everything that's in there, right? We're unable to lead well. It's just like this swerve that goes back and forth. And, and so I love that he kind of deals with that. And then we get to this woman and the girl. Well, back and forth all this time before, we keep seeing the Pharisees, the rulers, the Pharisees. And then all of a sudden, and I'm in the E and E, what is this? Right here. But in the NLT, I think it said something different. I meant to actually write down what it said. Because it just phrased it differently. But here it says a ruler. But I think it's actually a leader in the synagogue in a different translation. Do you guys see that translation somewhere else? A, a leader in the synagogue. Okay, the NLT. So you see this back and forth with the leaders in the church, with the leaders in the church and him healing and him pointing this out. And then all of a sudden you have a leader who's had it come completely personal to home. His daughter has died and there's nothing else they can do. I mean, this is death is death. And he realized the only thing that could happen was to come and kneel before the Lord. I've taught on this some before, and I hadn't seen it until last night, honestly, when I was sitting and just praying and rocking through this, that Jesus, and it's not cruel, it's out of love, right? So Jesus looks at the man and just rises and follows him. It's a leader in the synagogue. But in the midst of that, he decides to stop, and the girl's dead, but he's following. He stops and deals with a woman who would have been considered unclean, Right? And so this, this leader of the synagogue even, there has to be a little bit of a time of understanding. Am I going to now allow this man, Jesus, to come into my home after he's just dealt with this woman who's unclean, especially when Jesus verbally says it out loud to everybody who just touched me? Because what would have happened? According to law, when the woman touched Jesus and he announces it, now he's unclean. And without going back to the synagogue and doing the cleaning rituals with the purification water and to be outside and then be accepted back in, it was an entire set of steps where like one of the priests had to declare you clean again. He shouldn't have been around anybody. He would have been just as dirty as she was, correct? Does this make sense? It's a little bit like cooties from as we were kids, but much more serious, you know? And, and so he, there has to be this moment there where the, this ruler, this, this leader, and it doesn't say it at all, so this is just my thought on it, that at some point the leader has to decide which is more important, the life of my daughter with this man who says he is the son of God or the rules that I have spent my entire life and I have promised to uphold. 
Like he has to make that choice on his own. He has to decide, where am I going to submit my authority to? Where am I going to put this down? And I wonder right then when the Lord turns and Jesus said to her, take heart, my daughter, your faith has made you well. He was declaring her clean in front of everyone. He was declaring that she had a purpose and a place. And the 12 years of exile and the 12 years of being pushed away, those were over. You are my daughter. And I love the identity within both of these stories that before the the full healing had fully happened, before there was focus on that, he decides, I need to tell you who you are and whose you are. The other thing that hit me about it was that by the spirit, they were healed. Well, that reminds me of the last several weeks when we've gone back to the baptism of Jesus, right? And when the spirit comes down in the shape of a dove, but the voice from heaven speaks out and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. By the spirit, they were healed, but by the voice, Jesus's voice, they were identified. So see in this, before that, he had said, who touched my garment? And she said, I did because I knew if I could just touch you, I'd be well. But then she could hide off again. But he uses his voice in front of everyone to declare that she is a daughter, declare identity over her. I feel like, not that everything in the Bible is ever an equation, um, but my kids in their classes that they've been doing for classical conversation have been memorizing basic equations, which seems a little odd to have a kindergartner and a first grader memorizing basic equations, but they have songs with it. And so it'll be like, I'm not going to get it all right, but it's like opening parentheses, A plus B, closing parentheses, times C equals, anyway, does this make sense? And it's the whole, I mean, it's a basic equation from geometry for years later, but they're already memorizing this. And I was looking at this thinking, it's like there's, he's following the father's equation in a way, the wholeness of the person and the wholeness of the Godhead and the Trinity. He's allowing both to be used in this moment. There's, there's the spirit that has come upon him that is physically healing and yet he's using his voice to physically identify and to, to, to re-identify and put them back into the whole person that they were meant to do. And of course, Jesus also said he didn't do anything his father didn't say to do, right? So then what? This is just a little bit of thought. I knew we had some amazing worship this morning and we didn't want to take forever. Just some of my thoughts on this. But it goes on to heal the blind man, the man unable to speak. Again, eyes to see, a voice which will then later on, he tells us what in the word, that we will do greater things than he would do. And he's continually, I think, giving back the voice. We talk about physical healings, but we, ask the ch- we have the chance to come alongside one another and give people back their identity, calling into what God is ca- saying over them. So are we doing that? Do we see others as beloved of the Father before we see their brokenness? I have to tell you guys, I get challenged by this on a daily basis, sometimes hourly. Do I see the brokenness of someone before I see their belovedness in the Lord? And I have to tell you, this is super personal to me right now. And I'm sitting in a place of saying, Lord, I can only shift in this way with the presence of the Holy Spirit leading in that. I can only walk or lead or teach or parent in that way as the way that the teacher 
as the way that you did it, but you had the Holy Spirit who had descended upon you. And each of us has that opportunity to claim that and say, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to come upon me to do this. You know, Brad has talked before and we've, we've talked about the difference between the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit upon us. And there are times I believe that there are ways and things that are being set up that we can only walk in this if the Holy Spirit is upon us, leading us to make this call of somebody. And I can only fully speak into to your life as to what the Lord is saying into your life prophetically, who you are as a daughter and a son of the King, if I am in line with what the, Holy, what the Father had is saying over you. Jesus said he didn't step out at all from that. That's exactly where he walked. That's exactly what he wanted to do. So I felt like this morning, it was one of those moments where I know we don't really have an altar. We don't really even you know, have anything set up like this. But I just felt like it was a time for us in our own minds. And I loved earlier how, how Sean, you called out and just said, who's holding even like 1% back? Who's holding 2% back? And honestly, if, if every one of us didn't raise our hands, I mean, we'd be lying in some area. Because I think it's a time to come before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit upon me so that I can speak into the life of others around me who they are in you. I mean, it's easy for us to declare that, to say, oh, you're a daughter of the Son, you're a father, a, fa- a daughter of the Lord. You know what I'm saying tongue getting tied up. It's easiest for us to give lip service to that, but then it gets acted out and walked upon. Am I willing to carry your dirtiness when it hits me? Because I know you're really clean in the Lord. Am I willing to walk with you and take you before the Lord to pray, to cry, and to carry you there? Am I just going to stand and point it out? And I think we can decide to be part of the crowd that laughed at Jesus, but we want a little of him when it comes to time to matter to us. When we have a death in our family, when something has hurt us at that point, we make a change and we want to step out and do that. Or he says, you can prepare for the way of the Lord now. And I thought it was interesting because we're going into Easter this next week. And so today is Palm Sunday, which is always a week of preparation a week of preparation. And, and so I think in some ways, not that he was at all saying that fasting is wrong. That wasn't the point. The point of their fasting was wrong. But for us to stand in the place of saying, Lord, I want to prepare the way for you in my life, in my church, in my community, in my family. And I'm going to step out of something that I normally do. So I feel that to remind myself to prepare for you. I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I feel a calling towards that for us this morning. So I don't know if if there's another short song. I know our children's workers have to leave. A couple of them actually have to leave pretty much right at noon. So we don't want to go too long. But I want us to take time to just sit and to think. And I know that Chuck will often challenge us in this, and different cultures are different. Brad was telling me about the the Nepalese culture where he was. They are very um, kind of quiet people. And and to have 70% of their people come forward, that he was like, that's not normal. That's not culturally normal there. We come from all sorts of different backgrounds. So some of us move a lot. Some of us move very little. But what I would say is that whatever it is, I think there's a a thing sometimes where the Lord says, will you move? Will you do something different so that you can hear, so you can honor, so you can make a statement, 
towards me. Does that make sense? So I leave it before you, what you want to do with the Lord. We don't have an altar space. There is a space up here to worship. But as we go into kind of a short last worship song, I would just say, come before the Lord and just seek his face and just be honest between you and him. Do you believe him when he says you're my daughter? Do you believe him when he says you're my son in whom I'm well pleased? Do you really believe that? I'm going to tell you that in my working with people, I would say most people don't truly believe it. There's a hint, but not the full truth of the understanding of that. So ask for full truth and full understanding. Ask for that ability to see other people in the beloved eyes of the Father before you see their brokenness. And let's prepare as a whole for the coming of Easter, the celebration of death and resurrection. But let's make this week different than the norm. Okay, y'all? If you need prayer ministry, if you have something that you want to be prayed over, if you need somebody to to lay hands and to seek with you, feel free to come over into this area. If you're a prayer minister and you feel like you're good with the Lord or you've sought him and he's released you to do ministry, join me over here. But let's not move too fast to just jump into roles. Let's seek the Lord. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. If we feel like there's a block, I'm not hearing, I'm not feeling, then seek into that. And maybe he's saying, allow somebody to pray over you and speak identity over you. But let's not just stay where we are. stripped away and I simply come longing just to breathe something that's a word that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself, it's not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it. And it's all about you, it's all about you. Could it 
and it's a spirit of fear. Thank you, Father, that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Lord, I ask that you would just move this week in your power, in your love. Now, those who are fighting for that sound mind, that they would find the fighting fades away as they seek you at your feet on the cross. That you will provide support. You will provide people, Lord. We just pray for supernatural provision for people who are seeking, who are hurting, who are hungry. Lord, I pray that you will use the King's Church people to be that provision this week. That as we go out from these doors, the mission is the community around us. And that we will speak identity of sons and daughters into those we see. And we leave the brokenness to you, Lord, to the Holy Spirit. That we can, we can call out truth of who they are in the inner man and pray for healing and let you deal with that. Lord, walk with us this week, Father. We love you. Amen.